Welcome to the 2015 Faith Forward podcast series. The following presentation was recorded live at the 2015 Faith Forward gathering, April 20th through 23rd at St. James Cathedral in Chicago. During these four days, hundreds of conversation partners from around the world and spanning dozens of denominational traditions gathered to equip, resource, and inspire one another toward innovative theology and practice in ministry with children and youth. This podcast episode features the first half of Mark and Lisa Scandrett's presentation at this gathering, which they titled, Play, Practicing the Way of Jesus. I am Lisa Scandrett. And this is Mark, and we do life together. And we do that in San Francisco, California, with these people right here. Um, Our daughter is 21. Her name is Haley. Our son, Noah, the tallest one in the picture, is 20. And our youngest, sitting down in front of Noah, is 18. But he is almost as tall as Noah is. Um, so those are, that's our family, and we live in a neighborhood called the Mission District, which is a vibrant, diverse neighborhood, uh, just about a mile south of downtown San Francisco, and we have lived there now for 17 years. And um, 15 years ago, we started a, we founded a center for integral spirit, uh, Christian practice called Reimagine. And we are really passionate about helping people connect the teachings of Jesus to their everyday lives through shared practices. Um, Sometimes this means that we help each other close the gap from how we say we want to live and how we actually live. So um, we invite each other into experiments and practices that help us to flesh those things out. How did we get started? thinking about living out the way of Jesus? Well, first of all, we got our start as kids in families. So this is me and my parents. Um, Love and, the braces. Yeah, they're great. He had them too. And um, my parents were always caring for people on the margins, so it was a really natural space for me to think about um, how Jesus would live. And uh, they were people who loved Jesus and taught me a lot about that, as well as Mark's parents. So um, growing up, we were able to see things modeled about living in the way of Jesus that was so compelling and real to us that we're still here today. Um, I think that without seeing that, there have been times where we've been tempted to maybe walk away from our faith traditions. But... The thing that kept us tethered was going, man, that life that I saw in my home was really real. And there's something real to this Jesus thing. And so we got to figure it out. So as we grew um, and we became a we, um, we began working with children and youth. Um, We spent about 10 years working with kids and families, particularly kids and families who are in situations of struggle or um, on the margins. 
And, you know, it was pretty good to feel good about that for a while. Like, huh, I'm going into, into these places and I'm going to help these people. But very quickly, very, very, very quickly, we found out that we brought ourselves into those places. And um, we found out that our teaching was most effective when it was coming out of our own life experience. That, um, first of all, that the kids that we were teaching were actually people. And we needed to be present to them and listen to them and see who they are. And that in that process, we needed to be being transformed and becoming the people that were the kinds of people who could do that, who could listen and who could um, see. And in addition, we found out that just having um, good teaching wasn't enough, that we needed to begin to model the way of Jesus because um, the kids we were working with would copy us. They would do the things that we were doing. And so we needed to be doing things that were leading them in the way of Jesus and having practices ourselves. So it became a real motivation for us to learn to live in the way of Jesus in real and tangible ways. So about four years ago, um, I had a book, new book come out called Practicing the Way of Jesus that um, is a, was at the time a summary of some of the experiments and practices that uh, we'd been doing with uh, groups and communities for um, about seven to ten years. Well, a few people came to me afterwards and said, um, how would you do this with kids? And my quick response was, we did all the things in the book with kids, all right? It's, um, I, I hope, uh, maybe you should read it over because it's in there. Um, so um, we really, um, one of, a part of our family journey was learning to um, play out the things that our hearts most longed to do and be in the world together uh, with our kids and that we didn't want a segmented experience where uh, adults and kids were separate. And so all along the way, uh, um, through our Center for Integral Christian Practice, our kids have been involved in that journey. I want to tell you a little bit about how, a little more fully, how we got turned on to the importance of practice. Um, when we first moved to San Francisco, I started to ask a resounding question of myself. Are we experiencing the kind of transformation promised by the gospel? In the opening chapters of Mark, Jesus uh, came announcing his message. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life. Rethink your life. Repent. Reimagine everything and believe this message. And I'm convinced that if, if we want to see transformation in, um, in our own lives, growth in our, in our faith communities, and change in our world, then we've got to get um, in touch with the, the revolutionary teaching and phenomenon of, of, of Jesus. And that um, perhaps we need to reclaim some of the immediacy and action of that message in our lives. So I spent some time asking myself, well, um, are the approaches that I've experienced or that we typically take to discipleship or formation working? And when I reflected on my experience, and um, uh, I think this is still is often true today, a lot of what I learned about that formation journey tended to be individualistic, information-driven, or disconnected and, dare I say, dishonest about the real stuff of life. 
Well, in contrast to this, I, I went through the Gospels and asked the question, well, how did Jesus teach his disciples to live his kind of life? First of all, it was in community. It wasn't just about the individual, but it was about a group of people being on a journey together and doing culture-making together in the process. Second, it was not only, Jesus taught not only through information, but also through action and practice. Before his disciples were even ready to, he put them on adventures or took them on adventures with them and said, try this on. And they had to learn things through failure and mistakes. And that um, uh, we know that um, uh, uh, in action learning theory and, um, uh, and in, in our experiences, we learn best as adult learners by taking new risks and having new experiences and then reflecting on those experiences. And I think that's true of people of all ages. And third, Jesus spoke with an honesty about the real stuff of life. If you've looked at the Sermon on the Mount recently, you probably noticed, man, Jesus is talking about real stuff here, how you get along with relatives and um, struggles with resentment and um, forgiveness and um, worries and anxieties and attachments, the things, the real stuff of life. So uh, one of my early mentors in um, coming into the importance of formation was somebody by the name of Dr. Dallas Willard. And when we were first starting our center in San Francisco, he would come up from Los Angeles to spend time with our little team. And I was, um, I was a, um, a, a really hungry 20-something, longing for some answers and, and how, how, some how to do this. And I remember one night saying to him, Dallas, you talk brilliantly about what life in the kingdom of God, according to the teachings of Jesus. How are we actually supposed to do this? And in a deceptively simple way, Dr. Willard said, well, I think a group of people should just look at the teachings of Jesus and try and do those things. And I'm thinking, duh, who, who hasn't thought of this? We, we all, we've all thought of this, that that's exactly what you would do if you wanted to follow the teachings of Jesus and live in his revolution. But then I got to thinking, well, how often does this actually happen? And we're, we're in the process of recovering from uh, a modernist pedagogy that emphasized information over experience. And it seemed to me like if, if we are going to recover that sense of action and immediacy, then we need contexts where we can be together in learning that are more like a, a gym than a college lecture hall or a classroom. Or like I like to say, maybe we need like a Jesus dojo. Uh, in Japanese, dojo means place of the way, and it connotes an active learning space uh, where we're trying some things on. It's not a passive space. So here's a little more of a technical definition of what I think a Jesus dojo or a community of practice is. It's a space where there is an experiment happening. In our case, inspired by the life and teachings of Jesus, in which a group of people commit time and energy to a set of practices. We've got to try, take a risk and try on something new. At its best, it's in conversation with real needs in our communities and within ourselves. And after we've taken those risks or tried those new things, then we want to reflect on how those experiences can shape the ongoing rhythms of life. So about seven or eight years ago, we went public with this. It's something that when Lisa and I look back, we realize when we were 20, 21, 22 years old, we'd sort of um, 
instinctually started doing, um, maybe just with a friend or two or in the work that we did with kids and families and housing projects, but could we create a formation space based on, on this um, sense of action and immediacy? And some things that we've noticed along the way is that we feel more connected when taking common action. If you've ever been on a learning or serving trip, uh, I hear so many people say, man, I felt close to people. I mean, it was great. We got to, um, we got to care for some kids. We, got, um, we ate rice and beans. We slept on concrete floors. We, we spent some time each day uh, uh, singing and praying together. And I sort of think, well, yeah, everyday life could be like that. There's, there's people to care about, and there's cement floors to sleep on in all the places where we live. Why, why not take those deeply transformative experiences and make those more um, the, of the rhythm of our lives? A second thing that we've noticed is that when we take steps of action together, doing it together creates a sense of solidarity so that we can take steps we haven't been able to take on our own. I think in our faith communities, um, we, we really try hard to make connections between the teachings of the gospel and everyday life. And when you prepare um, a, a Sunday message or a teaching, you, I'm sure that you, you and I, we have that, those things in mind. But I think the cumulative effect is that the people that we serve, um, we're always giving great advice about what they can go and do on their own after they walk out of the door of our meetings. And I think it ends up feeling like a weight, a to-do list of things I should be doing that I'm not doing. But if we can create context together where we were able to do those things together, we're much more likely to be able to take those transformational steps. And finally, we realize that when we take steps of, of action and practice together, we have a living story to tell. Not just a story about events that happened 2,000 years ago, but about ways we are experiencing good, good news in the greedy details of our lives in the here and now. And as Lisa s suggested a little bit earlier, when we're having those experiences of change in our lives, we really have something to offer to the children, youth, and adults that we serve. And they, they can trust that experience. They can trust that, that presence in our lives. Not just um, what we've learned in, in our education, or in our preparation, but it comes from who we are as well. So uh, a couple years ago, we did an experiment uh, with some of our friends where we started to notice J Jesus kept talking about how to enter the kingdom. And one of the things that he said was, you have to enter the kingdom like a child. Well, some of the things that children are like is that they play, they experiment, they risk, they touch things, they lick things, they, they try new things on. And um, so we, made, we, uh, we invented a, a, or created a learning lab for both children and adults together, where we tried some new things on together and, tr and tried to play. And I, I hope I could bring a little bit of that spirit of play to us this morning. And so I want, I want us to play a little bit together. Maybe you're familiar with the song. It was my favorite thing to do at the, at the roller rink when I was a kid is a song called The Hokey Pokey. Anybody familiar? It's a great song about putting your whole self in. And that's the invitation of Jesus to live all of life in the kingdom of God. That is what it's all about, is putting your whole self under the loving reign of the Creator. So how do we do that? Uh, we want to take you through in the remainder of this session 
five elements of life in the kingdom of God that we think are revealed um, in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And the first is this. The gospel invites us into a new identity, um, from false self to true self. And in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, he said, when you pray, you should say, our parent in heaven, that we can, um, and let me say it like this, Jesus invites us into a life where we learn to be conscious of God's care and presence, discovering our truest identity as God's beloved children. If we could learn to have the kind of relationship with the creator that Jesus had. It's what took him out into the wilderness uh, in the early mornings to experience that uh, sense of, uh, of oneness and connection. Um, my sense is that um, we had early experiences in life that help us to trust uh, and know who God is and trust that love is real. And that um, sometimes remembering those things can help us uh, sense the invitation that, that that and more is the kind of relationship that we can have with the creator of the universe who is closer than our very breath. When I was 13, um, I was going on a summer serving project. And I grew up in a large Lutheran church in Minneapolis. And um, I remember uh, they invited us to come up to this, the front of the sanctuary to pray for us and send us out for the summer. And I went up there, and as they were praying, I felt these hands on the back of my shoulders. And I thought, who is touching me? And it seemed like somebody who really knew me. And they, they gently caressed my shoulders. And, um, and when the prayer was over, I turned around. And it was my father in his military fatigues. He was on an operation that weekend, but he snuck out to be there for me. And um, I was about to do something that summer that was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And I would often um, imagine this, the, the, that touch of someone being present to me. And, I th and, I, and um, something clicked for me, and I thought, whatever warmth I felt in that touch is just a little bit of the sense of presence and care that the Creator has for me, and I want to I live with that sense. So our early experiences of human touch and care awaken us to love and give us our first impressions of what God is like. But our experiences in family and in community are also never enough. And something inside of us longs for a deeper and fuller kind of love and connection. And so those experiences, those human experiences, put us on the journey and the search for true parent and true home. It seems like um, we're all in that space of, um, uh, of journey towards true parent and true home. Where are we going to find it? And the way, one of the places where Jesus found that is in silence and solitude and in the presence of the Father. And this morning, we want to invite you uh, into that, that similar kind of experience. The Apostle Paul said, in God, we live and move and have our being. The good creator of the universe right now is closer than your very breath. I want you to close your eyes right now. Take in a deep breath.
and then breathe out. Take another deep breath and breathe out. I dare you to believe right now that you have everything that you need to thrive because you are connected to a source of love that spoke this world into existence. And there is nothing that can happen that can separate you from that love. Not the struggles of your life right now, not suffering or sickness that you might go through another day in your life, but, but you've been given what you need and you have enough and it'll take you through the, le- the rest of eternity. So if we can learn to exist and rest in the care and presence of the one in whom we live and move and have our being, it, it grounds us in the reality of life as it actually is. The second theme we see Jesus inviting his disciples into in the Lord's Prayer is an invitation into purpose. Why are we here? And in the prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, you should say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our creator has a longing to see all things um, fulfilled in 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 a great and good dream. And Jesus invites us into a life where we learn to see ourselves as agents of God's healing work in the world. I have a good friend who um, is a Zen Buddhist Jesus freak, and he likes to say, there's two places where we are sure to discover God's presence. One is in the silence of prayer, and the other is in the faces of those who struggle and suffer. Because we know that God is with those who suffer and struggle. And so if we want to be close to where God is, then we need to be in the presence of those people and see how we can be connected. So all of us uh, in this room live in places of, of struggle and need. And some of those things are close to home. We, we sense those things in our families and in the communities that we're part of. Um, but I often find, especially for those of us who have had a certain level of um, privilege and education, that w- um, just the way things get sorted out in our culture, we might be distanced in location or proximity or relationship from the greatest pockets of struggle in our community. And so we think it, it can be a really helpful practice to cross boundaries of location, race, and class to make those kinds of connections and invite one another into those things, into, into learning to live out that sense of purpose. So when our kids were small, we got involved in a um, community center not too far from our house that offered groceries and community to people in the Lower Haight District of San Francisco. And I loved it that um, I'd take my son Isaiah, uh, my son Noah, who's in the picture here, is a really good worker. He wasn't always sure what to do with all the characters that were at Page Street Center, but he definitely knew how to pick things up and move things around and do some scrubbing and stuff. And I, I have a... Um, I have a a special memory of he and I biking home after we'd spent a few hours at the community center together. And he turned to me and he said, Dad, you know, I don't think that we should call our friends homeless people. That doesn't sound very respectful. He said, um, 
He said, because our friends, they, they have homes. Their homes are just sidewalks and tents. And so, you know, let's, let's just say we have friends who live outside instead. But it was great to see him kind of getting in touch with that kind of respectfulness that comes through relationship. Over the years, um, we've had our heartstrings pulled by a lot of different things um, in our family and in the community that we're a part of. For a while, it was human trafficking. And we launched some initiatives to help each other uh, learn to take steps to live in ways that are, are more fair and just and to support the communities that specialize in helping um, the 27 million people who are currently um, in uh, being trafficked. And then I had an interesting experience during the fall. Um, right after the Ferguson verdict came out, we were having dinner at our house. and. Um, my Facebook page was blowing up with all my friends commenting on, on Ferguson, and I, I offhandedly said, you know, I think this is, seems kind of um, patronizing for us to think that we're doing something by, um, by just Facebooking about it. It feels like slacktivism to me. And my daughter did a little pushback, and she's like, yes, but Papa... We've got, if we have a voice, we need to use it on behalf of, of, the, of, of the voiceless. So I know it's not everything, but I think it is something. And, and we could, as we were having this conversation, and I, granted, I'm usually the one making speeches at the dinner table at my house, and so it's interesting that I'm the one getting one from this, this person. And um, we could hear the helicopters overhead getting ready to um, t take... Uh, footage for the news because there were uh, rallies and marches breaking out in our neighborhood. So I said, well, this seems like an opportunity, like, let's go for it. And we left the dinner table, left our plates there, and we headed out into the night to join our neighbors. And um, if you've, uh, maybe some of you have experienced this, but I remember standing there that night among mostly our black, black and brown neighbors and hearing the longing for justice. And most of the people in the crowd had experienced the injustice of police brutality and mass incarceration and saying something has got to change. We've, we've got to defend the rights of the, the, the poor and the vulnerable. And that kind of activated our family. And um, we started, uh, it became something that wasn't just a news story, but also um, things that our, our neighbors had been affected by. And I, and I started hearing stories from friends about how they feared to let their teenage son out of the house to um, go, go to the store because of the color of his skin and how he might be profiled. And then, um, uh, actually it's funny, because this is, you're part of the story. He asked me about how the neighborhood was responding uh, when he came to visit one time, and suddenly we were in the middle of a march, <laughs> and, um, and the same kind of experience. I got, I got overwhelmed with emotion, re beginning to resonate with God's heart. And it's interesting how these things begin to add up, because uh, on February 26th, a 22-year-old young man on our block named Amilcar Perez Lopez was... Um, shot down by the police. Uh, it was a, a, a bit of a really poor police work that um, made this happen. He was, uh, ha was supporting a f um, his parents and five brothers and sisters who um, are from an indigenous area of Guatemala. And this has really activated our whole neighborhood. Um, 
uh, with uh, organizing around caring for his family, and um, he was the sole provider for their, their family back in Guatemala, so um, they're without an income now. And when Lisa and I head home uh, on Friday, we're going to be part of a, a vigil. And what I've found over and over, and the reason why I share this story, is I think that whenever we open our hearts to resonate with the Creator's longing for healing and restoration, we're not, we're not far from having opportunities to respond to that invitation and to those needs that are all around us if we're willing to have soft hearts and resonate. So I want you to spend a, a moment just reflecting on this question. What makes your heart ache for kingdom come? Who are the outcasts, the hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and lonely in your proximity? The contents of this podcast episode are reproduced by permission of the presenter and Faith Forward under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations copyright. The Faith Forward podcasts are produced by Dave Sinis. Please stay tuned for more episodes of the Faith Forward 2015 podcast series on the web at faith-forward.net and join the movement at the 2016 Faith Forward Gathering, April 18th through 21st in Chicago. <laughs>